This show is brought to you by Objectivity Squared Wealth Management, helping families strategize, execute, monitor, and communicate their financial decisions. Learn more at objectivitysquared.com. Call to Adventure, hosted by Alexopoulos and John Duckworth, an exploratory conversation about facing the unknown, an opportunity to discuss those pivotal moments that illuminate new paths and reveal deeper purpose and meaning in our lives. I'm Alexopoulos with my partner in peace, John Duckworth, and today we have on the show one of the world's great explorers, Robert Swan, OBE. And for those of you who don't know what that stands for, that's Order of the British Empire. He is the first human ever to have walked to both the North and South Poles, in the process gaining the unique distinction of having made the longest unassisted trek ever attempted by man. And by the way, that is just the tip of the iceberg of who this man really is. It is an incredible honor to have Rob Swan with us at the Ohm Studio. Rob, welcome to the show. Good to be on it. This adventurous life of yours started at the ripe old age of 11. Uh, share with our audience Scott of the Antarctic and the seeds it planted. Well, Scott of the Antarctic, starring the great actor John Mills, father of Haley Mills, was shown on Christmas Day nearly every year. Uh, and remember, I was watching black and white TV and my mother still talks about it that it was on TV and I was watching this thing and it wouldn't have mattered if the entire house blew up I was just locked in to watching this movie all about the bravery of Scott the Antarctic um, they all died it was just the most tragic story but full of bravery and I was watching it and I thought I'm doing this there's no question I'm not doing this. And um, that was the beginning. It's really incredible because I can't imagine. I've, I've watched the movie earlier this week. And my takeaway was, no way do I want to do something like that. So what is it at 11 that makes you say, no, this is it. I want to I, I do this. I'm going. I'll tell you exactly why. When I was 11, the the... Soviet Union and the United States have enough, had enough bombs pointing at each other to blow up the world 3,000 times. And like any 11-year-old, I thought, well, surely once is enough. Why of all of this? So not just uh, Scott of the Antarctic and the adventure and the exploration. It was the place itself that interested me, mm. even at 11, because there were no bombs there. No one owned it. Uh, there were no nobody arguing about it, and it seemed very positive. And of course, as an eleven-year-old, I also quite like penguins. I still do. Okay. So it wasn't just the film; it was the place. It was kind of everything that sucked me in, literally, to the TV screen. Big ideas like going to the Antarctic don't happen easily. I think you said it took you what seven years to raise the money to go. Well. As my father said, you know, I don't know why you're doing this, boy, but uh, can you please finish school first and maybe go to university? So I said, fine, I'll do that. So on the day I left university, I went from the north of England down to London. I hired a small piece of an old warehouse and started to raise the money or tried to raise the money. Now, one minor problem, I'd never been camping. I wasn't an outdoor person. I just had this dream. And therefore, it was a very hard sales pitch and took years and years and years to convince people to sponsor us. And in those days, nearly 30 years ago, <clears throat> people had to buy a ship. You had to sail to Antarctica. You had to do it very traditionally, like the real explorers, Scott, Shackleton and Amundsen. People today are very lucky who visit the Antarctica. They can fly there. That's why it costs five million U.S. dollars, which is a stacked load of money today. It was a hell of a lot of money way back in the early 1980s. You end up, pointed off, going to the Antarctic, which Robert Scott has described as the highest, driest, windiest, coldest place on Earth, which he followed up by saying miserable, 
utterly <laughs> miserable. <laughs> Tell us a bit about your experience there in the Antarctic. Well, because you have to live there a year uh, in a yeah. hut, um, you know, it, it's, it's not like go there, make the expedition. It's quite a process. You take 75 days to get from London on an old ship. You land the ship and you, you build a hut. You live in it for a year. Uh, everybody didn't like each other very much, but we came through it. And then three of us began our journey to the pole. So it was uh, quite a slow build-up to actually making the journey itself to the pole. But Antarctica is also, you know, the cleanest, most isolated way of having a bad time ever devised on Earth. So it is a pretty rough place, uh, but it's beautiful. And many of the listeners might just think it's black and white, but it's not. It has every color, mm. every... It's an amazing place, and especially in the winter, in the dark four months of the Antarctic winter, and you see the southern lights, it... It really is harsh. Uh, you should never get lulled into the beauty of it because it'll turn around and bite you. So yeah. it's 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 a it's a beautiful, harsh, tough place that you have to respect. And in a in a very strong way, I actually love the place. You you talked about you know it's a nine hundred mile trek, I believe, right? And and you have enough food and enough water. And sort of midway through the trek, you're 450 miles, whatever. Uh, and you can either turn back or go, f go forward. And you don't have any GPS. There's no, there's no calling anyone. And how haunting is that to know you're in the middle of this massive place. And if you're off one degree in your, in your precision, you're dead. Well, it, it's even to add to that is that we were following in the footsteps of Scott, the film that I saw when I was 11, and all of Scott's team died. Right. And if you die in Antarctica, you're there forever. You, you're Scott's under the ice, not looking a day older than the mm -hmm. day he died 100 years ago. So as you go south, you're passing these points where you know down under the ice there are dead people looking pretty much like the day they died so it's pretty hectic as you went south to have these marker points of people who lost their lives doing what we were doing in a much more fundamental way in their case um, but to respect them yes we carried no radio communications we had no gps we tried to engage in their isolation and respect their commitment of all those years before us, but it was incredibly wearing because if you make a mistake, you don't come home. If your navigation's wrong, you miss the pole and you'll never know where it is. But the bottom line to it all is that would we starve to death or not was the question. So when we made the longest unassisted march, that was done because was it possible to do it? You start with a finite amount of food, and if it runs out, you're dead in five days. So, um, And we mm. knew we couldn't pull all we needed. So it was very much a war of attrition and very exhausting. Was there a moment then where you thought to yourself, maybe I shouldn't have titled this Following in the Footsteps of Scott? I mean, I know that you mentioned at one point uh, staring into the face of God. And, you know, Alex has mentioned the, 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 the reality of death as you're there. But I'm also sure that there was this aliveness that comes from feeling that close to having to be so precise and, and present to every decision you're making. Well, I think it's, it's, it's it, what it is is a mirror of yourself, mm. which is actually not always a good picture. Mm -hmm. So you really see who you are and what you are. And actually what's interesting is that just about everything you think you are, you aren't. But what on the positive side, you find things that you hoped you were that you are. Mm. And that is a big mirror and it's very hard to stare into it because, you know, we're all selfish. A survival <clears throat> means that, you know, you'll probably run over other people to survive and... You know, all those issues in your head um, really were paramount 
but at the same time you are in a place that is totally silent hmm. there's no noise nothing so you're you know facing this kind of sensory deprivation and thinking about all right. those things and walking across you know dead bodies under the ice from a hundred years ago and if you make a mistake you're going to die and it's nine hours a day seven days a week for 70 days in a row and you're going to lose 69 pounds in 70 days it's quite full absolutely <laughs> when, when, when you when you realize who you're not and who you are uh, I re think back about your quote uh, that you uh, offered, which was, uh, or, or the characteristic that you admire, which is, do what you say you're going to do, delivery on your word. And uh, it, maybe you could share with us the story of you reach this pinnacle uh, and, and what happens to your boat and, and where that led you. Well, you know, we had no radios. We had no communications with the outside world for a year. So the last time we saw our ship was when the ship dropped us off and then escaped the ice cap coming in round Antarctica and went back to New Zealand. And the plan was the ship would come south, drop off um, an aeroplane, and the plane would come to collect us. And that was all something we hoped that were happening. So we were slugging it out, we getting near the pole, and then suddenly on the horizon you see this tiny little speck and you know it's the South Geographic Pole, yes, we're in. And you arrive at the pole and probably upset a few scientists because they weren't particularly expecting people, three <laughs> people to walk in and tap on the door. I don't think they've ever been the same since. And we stood there and went, yes. And then the base commander came out and he just got a radio message saying that our ship, Southern Quest, had met terrible ice conditions and had uh, been crushed by ice and had sunk five minutes before we arrived at the pole. Mm. So not, a, not a lot of time to enjoy your moment. No, it wasn't. <clears throat> it wasn't a lot of time to enjoy <laughs> the moment. And, you know, what that created were all kinds of logistical problems. But most importantly, we'd made a promise to the great Jacques Cousteau of France, mm. our patron, and actually Sir Peter Scott, Captain Scott's son. He founded the WWF, and I don't mean the wrestling outfit, I mean the yeah. wildlife mob, right? Right. And great people, and they'd supported us, but they said, Rob, at the end of your expedition, leave Antarctica tidy, take away your garbage, just leave your footprints in the snow. So losing a ship puts you into a bit of a tight spot because... You've got 60 tons of equipment on the shore of Antarctica, 3,000 miles back to civilization. And it would be really easy just to say, look, forget this, let's get out of here. But I genuinely believe that leadership is about mm. delivering on what you say you're going to do. And it builds track record, too, that people will maybe listen to some crazy ideas and might, might even believe that it's going to happen. So... We stuck in, people stayed another year. It was a huge battle, masses of money, huge expense, more it, more debts. But a year after we lost Southern Quest, we went back, cleared everything out and did what we promised to do. And I don't think, I'm very proud of that, but I also think it was actually very useful for us because ever since mm. that moment, we've taken on some really quite outrageous things but because we delivered on that first promise, I think people have actually taken us a little bit more seriously since. Certainly gives you a lot more credibility at that point, which originally you mentioned Jacques Cousteau gave you. Correct. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's such a small quote, uh, you know, but it's, it's such a powerful message. You exit the South Pole and you, uh, you decide to, as you say, become the stupidest person and decide to walk to the North Pole. Uh, Share with us the experience of having the ocean break underneath your feet. Well, the North Pole is a frozen ocean, so it's like going down to the beach here in Charleston and walking 700 miles out into the middle of the Atlantic, uh, every step away from land. So the North Pole, as you're walking, you it's meant to be frozen ocean at that time of year, and we got 600 miles from land, and the whole ocean 
melted four months before it ever had, which was very, very <laughs> upsetting and very, very frightening. Um, imagine standing on plates of ice and they're all moving and breaking up and you can't seem to be able to make your way through it and if you fall into the ocean you're pretty much game over and there's eight of you from seven nations and it's all your fault while you're there and you know this was not easy and it frightened me because it showed me that we're fooling ourselves as human beings to think that we have any power over the environment or nature we don't if it decides to turn ugly we're out of the picture and we were just lucky to get through that time by by being careful and hanging on in there literally yeah well it's 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 really phenomenal because i mean i think that one of the points that you bring up quite often is sustained leadership and this idea of following through on a promise and i'm sure that's something that you've been developing over the course of your entire entire life but your moment at the south pole where the boat sinks feels like the beginning of a series of unfortunate accidents that happens at the pinnacle of what mm -hmm. in your youth felt like must have been looked at as this magical moment you were looking towards and yet when you talk about leadership you mentioned that it's not a macho thing that it's a sensitivity and I found that really interesting you say if it's macho when you're out there you die absolutely I mean the best thing I ever did as a leader was to be found by the team on day two going to the North Pole crying <laughs> behind an ice block sitting on my sledge thinking what the hell am I doing this for again uh, but that allowed people to show how they really felt and yeah. the British have this awful thing of called stiff upper lip which is sort of carry on chaps everything's all mm -hmm. right but we're going to die and that's wrong and also that people imagine that polar explorers are all these people that puffed up and macho men taking on the planet or macho women taking on the planet and winning you don't beat the arctic or the yeah. antarctic you slip through by respecting and also as you say, showing sensitivity, care, and respect for each other. Yeah. Actually bothering about how people feel rather than how they're performing. Uh, and that actually gets you through in the end. Um, if you think you could take it on and win, you die. Well, uh, and I think that's the, a perfect moment to sit with for a minute. And we always like to, as people who've listened to the show before, break it up with some music. One of the pieces that you've asked us to play is uh, In Love by Thievery Corporations from their Versions album. So let's cut to that right now and, and uh, marinate. Enjoy.
All right, so welcome back. That was In Love by Thievery Corporation. We're here in the studio with Rob Swan. Thanks for being here again, Rob. And so as we were just talking, you're, you're the culmination of 22 years of, of, of striving for this goal, multiple goals, you achieve them, and yet at the risk of, like I mentioned before, a series of unfortunate accidents that, that, that must have seemed heartbreaking at the moment, and your eyes change color, your ship sinks, the North Pole ice is melting, you almost die multiple times, you're exhausted, and you come back and you've, you describe this to us as an empty period. Can you tell us what, what, what it was like? Well, I think that if you imagine all that effort over, and it was an effort for 22 years, yeah. to reach the pole, and you kind of believe that something is going to happen because of that, what you don't know but then everything's the same and one of the difficult things in doing something like that is everything's the same but people treat you differently like mm. you've got the answers to everything when it's just the same guy that got a bit cold for a while <laughs> and coming back from the poles you know i owed a huge amount of money uh losing our ship and massive debts and you know it was I thought, well, what was the point in all of that? And there was also an emptiness of who was I anymore? I was somebody striving to get to the poles and suddenly I was nothing. And it felt very empty. And I do believe that it was a bit of sort of post-traumatic stress too, mm. that it was so hard that yeah. I was struggling a bit. And this period was even lower because I made the mistake also I was in pain uh, I bust an L5 disc at the same time and walked 500 miles with a slip disc which again uh, hurt um, and I got back and sort of self-medicated by drinking gallons and I mean gallons of wine I don't even know why I chose wine as my <laughs> um, you know pain reliever and that didn't help either and that became something that <clears throat> gradually, and it does, creep up on you, um, drinking alcohol. It creeps up. You don't think it's right. getting you, but it creeps up slowly, slowly, slowly. Like swimming through a river or a lake and you just feel some weeds tickling your feet. And one day if you keep going, it's going to wrap around and pull you down. So I decided after, I don't know, couple of years or so of this that it was time to pull myself together and move things forward but it was actually a very important part of my life because it showed to me vulnerability mm. I'd always been a person that had not much patience for people that were going through a tough time uh, and it it taught me that sense of compassion because I went through a tough time and a lot of people helped me get through that tough time. Uh, but thank goodness it didn't last the rest of my life. Right. Um, and I'm proud to say that one day I woke up and I have not had a drink for 21 years. And I don't even miss it. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, every, every one of the stories, light, light needs darkness, right? The, the celebration needed a period that followed it. You know, it's not always one directional. You have to understand the other side to, to really make it profound. You talk about sort of those people around you uh, who helped pull you out of that. And, uh, and, and John, you spoke about it in, in the book that you're reading about his life. Yeah, of course, for anybody who, uh, who's listening who wants to learn more, Rob has a book, Antarctica 2041, My Quest to Save the Earth's Last Wilderness. And in there you describe something that I really love, uh, the immortals, friends of yours who just keep coming back. <laughs> Tell me <laughs> so, more about that. Well, I think that uh, my father always, uh, he was a good man, my dad, he was pretty tough, but... Uh, he always said, you know, Rob, you only really have, you know, a handful of friends when it comes down to it. And I always said to him, well, how do you judge a friend? And and he always said that the people who keep coming back <laughs> and the people that <clears throat> love you unconditionally. And I've had some terrific friends, some alter and change or sadly in some cases die. Um, but they're people who come back and are 
non-judgmental that you can ring them up anytime 24-7 and say, I'm in Timbuktu, come and rescue me. And if they can't come, they'll send somebody else. And I think I'm very lucky to have those people and I hope I'm one of their immortals back. That's very important. Things like that have to be two ways. Otherwise, they don't last. Yeah, I think at one point you, you said they seem to be cut of superior cloth. And uh, as, as far as I can tell, one of those gentlemen is in the room with us today, Ben Towell, who you described as somebody who inspires you greatly. And Well, Ben's got things right. He lives in Charleston for a start, not a bad place to That's be. Right. And uh, yeah. has a beautiful wife, Kate. So I was proud to go to his wedding um, not so long ago in Aspen, Colorado. And, you know, what Ben's done is to come to this country as an Englishman and uh, really do some fantastic things in uh, all kinds of different areas, uh, set up restaurants. He's now in the process of um, doing some stuff with hotels. Great stuff. And I admire entrepreneurial people. I, I'm really good at raising money, <laughs> but I'm really good at spending it. Um, so my respect for business people is paramount. Um, to give you an idea of how bad I am at business, my son Barney, who's 21, just started business school and was thoroughly rude to his father by saying, Dad, I think somebody in the family ought to be better at business. Yeah. So I'm, <laughs> you know, it's great to be here. And, you know, Benj actually inspired me to come to Charleston mm. to do all of this. And I, I know he's been on your program at the same time. But my real respect comes from the fact that he got on his bicycle uh, mm. a year or so ago and bicycled the whole way uh, across America, right. which is fairly spectacular. It's quite an adventure of his own, yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. We talked with Ben a couple weeks ago. We talked about, you know, people, and if the energy is there and the connection is there, that magical things can happen. And uh, and that seems to be one of the qualities of the immortals. Um, he certainly had a big influence on both John and I's life uh, yeah. uh, with introducing us to you. So um, thanks. And, you know, that, but I think it's terribly important always with friendships to just check you're being relevant to a friend mm. and to find out where they are and how you can help them because they'll always help you, but you need to keep working out how you yeah. can really help them. Well, and it's interesting because I, in, in circling back to this moment in your life where you're really struggling and you talk about the immortals, these friends who keep coming back and help you through this period. But there is one moment, you mentioned your son Barney, who's 21 now, as being the real pivotal moment that woke you up and say, all right, this, this gives me a, a different purpose. Well, I think that, you know, um, having a son or a daughter or you have a responsibility. And I, I believe that one of the reasons that I came out of the, let's just say the low bit, was because you owe it. Yeah. You owe it to be what you really are and not pushed down by circumstance. And in a way, I felt a little bit embarrassed, I have to mm. say to you both, that I felt I was sort of wallowing a bit in my own sort of, well, I walked to both poles and I owed a lot of... I made the choice to walk right. to both poles. I made the choice to be in debt. It was my choice. So I felt that, you know, part of coming out of that is I sort of felt a bit embarrassed and here I am drinking too much. How <laughs> pathetic. <laughs> Um, I made a choice. I'm the first person in history to walk to both poles. This is great. I need to wake up and smile. There's sometimes people say, a good friend of mine will say this, that sometimes in our lives, uh, expectation can be the mother of disappointment. And, and it sounds like that is very well the other side of your huge adventures to both poles was uh, uh, setting these huge expectations and then having them not be fulfilled in the way you may have dreamed. Absolutely. We're, uh, we're going to go to, uh, when I think about the immortals and those friends that keep coming back in your life, uh, it's a good segue into the song Dido, Here With Me, which I've always, I've loved. It's such a beautiful tune. Um, but when I was listening to it and preparing for this conversation, it just reminded me of a love song to the omnipresent woman in your life, Mother Earth. Correct. Cheers. Exactly. I didn't hear you leave I wonder how am I still here 
gonna move a thing It might change my memory tune by Dido um, you come out of this period uh, with a conversation with one of the true immortals Jacques Cousteau and he puts a challenge to you share with us our audience that challenge well Jacques Cousteau was you know just the most amazing man I mean unbelievable and a true man of the environment a true man of the ocean and he just turned around to me and said, Rob, what are you doing for the next 50 years? And I said, I'm sure <laughs> I'm about to find out. And he gave me a 50-year mission 24 years ago, which is very simple, to make sure that we as a world have the sense to leave one place alone on Earth forever, the Antarctic, as a natural reserve land for science and peace. All of us own Antarctica. We have a chance to save it. We're 24 years into the mission. We've got 26 years to go. Thanks, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like no, a 50-year challenge. No small task. <laughs> right, right, right. And no budget either. Oh, right. Yeah. It, you know, it's interesting because I think it's, it would be easy for people to miss the fact that this isn't about saving Antarctica, really. I mean, that's, that's a symbol of hope for a much bigger picture that you're looking at, right? Well, exactly. I think that what often happens in life is that 
you start down a track and we started down the track saying let's save Antarctica by using more renewable energy here in the real world because if we are and saving energy here in the real world it won't make financial sense to go all the way to Antarctica at huge expense and start pulling coal, oil and gas out of the place. Yeah. It might have five years of resources. So that's where it started to save Antarctica. Yeah. Then Antarctica started to melt. The last and eat be so we thought this is getting mixed up a bit because Antarctica's melting. That could threaten us here on Earth. So this is double reason why we should be using more renewable energies not just save Antarctica, try and stop the place melting so we're all swimming in Charleston. So it all came together mm. quite powerfully. Yeah, you talk about, yeah, when you refer to yourself, not being an adventurer, an explorer, an environmentalist, a greenie. You talk about yourself being a survivalist. That's a powerful message. Well, I am, actually. I'm quite good at staying alive. And um, a person who's good at staying alive doesn't see a perceived threat and do nothing about it. They address the threat in case it comes to get you. And all of us are being told on a daily basis now that climate change is actually a threat to our survival as a species here on Earth. And to do nothing about it is not the way forward. We have to address it just in case it really comes to hit us harder than we think it might. Why wait for the disaster to happen if there's a me if there's a moment to to take an opportunity and action now, right? Get ahead of the game. And something you've mentioned a few times, which which I find is always worth mentioning again and again, is why don't people know these stories you're telling? And 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 you say it's because it's good news. Well, I think that you know it's really easy, and that's why I love being on the show. And well done to both of you, really, because it's positive, it's fun. Yeah. And I bet people are listening who enjoy it because it's not all gloomy and negative. We could sit here for an hour and complain about everything, couldn't we? And that's easy. the easiest thing to do. It's easy to complain about everything. The most important thing is to be the positive people around the table, quite simply because I've yet to find somebody who is truly inspired by negative. Mm -hmm. But we live in a negative world. Seems so simple. It is simple. I think one of the really powerful things, particularly in light of what's transpired in Paris and San Bernardino and the recent events, um, is, uh, you know, some are trying to split the world and, and you bring people in, you include and, and, and you're uh, living in India and your relationship with China. And in particular, most recently, uh, the conversations you're having with women in the Middle East, uh, Tell us about that. Well, absolutely. I think that <clears throat> a lot of us forget that one of the reasons we have so many difficulties is, is because of lack of hope in certain areas. And in the Middle East, there's 125 million unemployed young people. They don't have hope. They will go the wrong way. If I had no hope, I'd go the wrong way. I already have on a few occasions. So we need to bring hope. And the best way to bring hope is to... Um, engage with women. So we've taken over 80 women from the Middle East down to the Antarctic, from countries that never have sent anybody to the Antarctic. And those women go back, are champions on the environment, but also they're champions of hope. You know, all these things might not change anything, mm. but it's my view that all of these problems aren't somebody else's problem. They're our problem. And if we all do a small thing, what I do is only small. But I try, and that's the way forward, in my opinion. You can't sit back and watch CNN for six days just saying all this terrible news about what terrible things are happening in Paris or wherever. You've got to say, I'm not going to suck this anymore. I'm going to try and do something in my own small way. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I, and, and back to the original premise for our show, this, this call to adventure based on Joseph Campbell's notion of a, a, a call, a departure, and then there's an initiation and a transformation and a return. And this transformation seems to have occurred when your wilderness, your adventure explorations turned from a personal challenge and a test to the reality of, I can make a difference in the world trying to save 
this planet in a way where one of the things that really lands for me that you've said many times is, you know, the greatest threat to our planet is the belief that somebody else is going to save it. And you, so then you took it on and said, well, I'm going to do my part. I think it, it's, you know, if you walk to both poles, it might be a bit of a struggle to do that. But, you know, you certainly get the idea that anything mm -hmm. is possible if you right. manage to pull off something like that. So it's, it, it is possible. And I think that you have to believe it. And I think that we've got a little bit comfortable. Mm. You know, the people that built this great nation that we're sitting in here, they didn't sit back and say, well, I wonder whether we can do that. They did it. And I think we've forgotten that. And we need to push that forward that you can do. You can make your dreams come true, especially young people um, need to know that, that they can make things happen, that it's not all gloomy. And that, you know, you've got to just spend the rest of your life hiding in Facebook, you know. You can get out and you can do stuff. I think to your point earlier, Alex, I'm not sure if our listeners know exactly about 2041 and how you're actually taking groups of people mm. on a yearly basis. For how many years now? Uh, we've done 12 years. We take fantastic young leaders. We take uh, teachers. We take artists even to the Antarctic. Um, business women, business men, great young leaders from all over the world. And they come down with us for <clears throat> a couple of weeks to Antarctica to see the fact it's melting, see this beautiful place. And most importantly, which you two appreciate, is to come back with a story. Mm -hmm. So the story can engage people. No one would listen to me if I'd not been stupid enough to walk to both poles. It's story. That's yeah. what engages people. You both know that more than most. And interestingly, it's, it's that, that promotes understanding as well, because not only an understanding of the environment, which is, it's so easy, it would be so easy to pigeonhole you into that category, but we're talking about understanding of, for instance, a Muslim woman as well. So this whole fear that's being promoted out there in the world today, suddenly people are coming back with more than just one story. It's a, it's a global connection that happens between human beings and their relationship to the environment. Well, I, I find the whole idea of climate change is so abstract for so many of us. Mm -hmm. And the room's too big, and they don't even know where the door is into the conversation. Mm -hmm. And it seems like by taking those uh, people from all around the world, mm -hmm. in I Iran and uh, Syria and Jordan and Russia Afghanistan. and Afghanistan, it's, it, it's incredible. Um, but you're providing a door for them to see. Uh, and the and the you know th the experience they bring back and how they shape the world in which they then occupy is powerful. It's very powerful, and I think that everybody has a great story, and just symbolically, to have on a ship in Antarctica a place that no one owns that we will never fight about, all these fantastic huh. people from all these different nations, and how much misunderstanding there is from us to them and. Trust me, the other way around. Right. And, you know, that's important just to make a statement in a world which people try to polarize all the time. Amen. You know, I mean, this year has been a particularly challenging and, and traumatic year for Charleston. Um, uh, but we've all become very uh, aware uh, to, Je to Reverend Jeremy uh, Rutledge, uh, pastor, um, uh, just bearing witness to the rising sea levels um and 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 the you know i've traveled roads that for have been closed for 20 times really? this year due to the rising tides um as you said you guys swim first and so one of the things that we've been working on during your stay is how do you project 2041 engage the community of charleston um in in addressing this issue. And John, what, what, what you want to mention anything about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that Rob's so good at is, is, is a response to challenge this notion. And, and your challenge to us has been the, this idea that you're coming to town and you'll, get, you'll be gone in 24 hours now, right? And when you leave, how is there sustainable inspiration, uh, momentum that carries on after you're gone? And this idea came up to send somebody, a Charleston ambassador, from this city to Antarctica with you in March of 2016. And also, 
a woman from Afghanistan who've, who's already been selected, named Adela. Mm -hmm. And so we'd like to not only send somebody from Charleston, but somebody from Afghanistan, a woman, in March of next year to promote inclusiveness and understanding, which I think is incredible, and, and you're engaging the Charleston community to help. And I've, I, I have to say it's just been the most amazing response to that challenge. Mm. You know, Charleston has, you know, in 1776 repelled the British. You know, you've had a bit of a downturn a few years ago with your economy. You turned it round. You now face another challenge, which is um, the sea level rising, you know. But you're good at dealing with challenges. I'm impressed. And not only are we going to take a Charleston ambassador, um, very kindly, a few people are going to help our wonderful girl from uh, Afghanistan, and I will bring her here to meet everybody from Afghanistan, which will be wonderful. Um, we're going to have some other people, it looks like, that are going to come with us. Yeah. Um, so what a great response. And, you know, it's so hopeful. Yeah. That's yeah. what I like. It is. And it gives people who live here uh, something to hold on to as, as everybody goes and then comes back with information to share. And not just information, but things that can be done here right. in the community to create action. And I think that's the thing that's so interesting is this idea of leadership inspiring and then action. Well, it's very simple to me. I went round with Benj, my friend, on a bicycle round your city and looked at you know, a game of spot the solar panel. Oh, yeah. There weren't any. So there you are, sitting in your city, underwater, sea levels rising, and there are no bloody solar panels to be seen. There's lots of actions we can take. Yeah. We can do it. We will fight back and, and get on with it. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> as you both know, I've got a bit of a challenge coming up at the end of next year. That's you know, right. We've got to face these things. Share with us just in the last minute the challenge that you're, you're going back to the South Pole, this time on all renewable energy. Yeah, I mean, you know, T.S. Eliot said we shall not cease from exploration, but at the end of our exploration, we'll find ourselves where we started and maybe know it for the first time. So I'm going mm. back to the South Pole with my son, Barney, who's 21. We're making a 700-mile journey um, retracing our steps of 30 years ago. But this time, we're going to have fun. This time, we are going to survive only on renewable energy, get a fantastic message out to young people around the world on what they can do. Uh, a message of hope. I'm going to look up. And as you both have identified, <laughs> those first two polar journeys were pretty hard. This one will be tough, but having my son there... He can look after his old dad, and we'll make it through together, father and son. I'm sure you will. I don't have any doubt. And, you know, it's just so great to have you here to, to share your story and your experience with our city. And we can't thank you enough for sharing your time with us here in the studio and with the Charleston community and Ohm Radio. So thank you so much for being here, Rob. We'll Absolutely. be back. It's an honor. We'll be back. And, and as we exit, we've got one last song from Coldplay, Sky Full of Stars. And I can, it's just such a great energetic anthem. And I could picture you and Barney marching off towards the South Pole to the beat of this rhythm right here. So let's hear it. Thank you.
What an uplifting uh, song. I yeah. Mean, what, a, what an uplifting man. Um, but I just love the image of, of him and his son Barney just trekking to the South Pole. <laughs> yeah. 2016. To Coldplay. To Coldplay. Right. Yeah. If that guy's not infectious, I don't know what is. I mean, wow. Yeah. You planted a seed in me for sure. No I'm kidding. inspired. Definitely. And I think the one thing that's really interesting is that, you know, what he, to his point is, is, I mean, if I had to choose somebody to do this work for me, mm-hmm. I'd definitely choose Rob. Yeah. But what he's saying is, is I can't do it. I need help and everybody needs to chip in and do their own part. Yeah. It's just a powerful message. Well, I think, and I think it's even more than that. The, the message of there's so much negativity, there's so much division and yeah. his message of just inclusion Right. Um, and, and hope and optimism. And as he, as he said, I don't know if I'm going to save Antarctica. I don't know. I don't know what we're going to accomplish. Yeah. But the fact that we're going to make an effort to build education, to build awareness, to to mobilize people. I, I mean, I just love the idea of uh, women from Afghanistan and yeah. Iraq and Iran and Syria and Russia and China and India. And, you know, yeah, it's powerful. It is particularly it is. in light of some of our leadership. Uh, talking about just let's ban everybody from coming in. Right. Ban all Muslims. Right. It's amazing. Yeah. It's so much nicer to, to be inclusive at this point. And I also think that there's a particular spotlight on Charleston right now in this moment. Yeah. And so we, we have an opportunity and we can leverage that opportunity towards positive action and say, you know, if everybody's going to be looking at us anyways, why not be known as the city that's doing the best job possible to, to capitalize on renewable energy, um, doing something about rising sea lo- levels, and, and really being proactive and optimistic about something that can be possible, that can be done. Yeah, I mean, I just love that. Why not us? Why not? You know? Well, it has uh, to be. Wh- why not show Who else? leadership? We're being asked to rise to that occasion on a lot of levels, with, yeah. with race relations mm-hmm. and healing wounds. And, you know, we, we 
as he so powerfully says, you guys swim first. Right. Yeah. And we right. do. <laughs> we and do. you know, he didn't just, I don't think, randomly choose Charleston to come to. There's a lot of cities in this world, and he's only one man. And he did decide that he wanted to come and spend time in this town. And he's issued a challenge to everybody in this town. And I, I'm inspired by that. And, you know, if you want to find out more about um, his, his mission, which is 2041.com, and, and you can find out more about his trips to Antarctica, or you could find out more about um, the GoFundMe campaign that he has. It's at GoFundMe.com slash Charleston 2041, which is set up to send somebody from Charleston and a woman from Afghanistan to Antarctica next year. You know, go ahead and go online and do that. And he's got a, a beautiful book to read as well. So um, just really, I mean, inspired and honored to have had him in the studio here today. Really incredible. And, and one of his favorite quotes. Oh, yeah. We didn't get a chance to, but you have it. What, it's that. from Goethe. And he says, whatever you do or dream you can do, begin it. Boldness has genius and power and magic in it. And that comes from a guy who, when he sits here before you, you see the strength in him. He's incredibly humble at the same time. Yeah. And after spending a few days with him, my takeaway is he's one of the most amazing people on this planet. I agree, and, and, and what an honor. And uh, I hope, as we always uh, hope, that uh, the power translates through uh, to, to to the audience. But uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And that there's a takeaway there that that, that it's in each of our hands yeah. to 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 do something about it. So that gives somebody something to hold on to. Thanks for spending another hour with us. Thanks to uh, Corbin for making it all happen behind the scenes. Thanks to Ohm Radio uh, for allowing us the opportunity. Thanks for you to you for tuning in. See you next time. Cheers. And remember, the road that is distinctly your own has never been traversed. Celebrate the path that is your call to adventure. This show is brought to you by Objectivity Squared Wealth Management, helping families strategize, execute, monitor, and communicate their financial decisions. Learn more at objectivitysquared.com.